This show is brought to you by our generous patrons at patreon.com slash falloutlorecast. Robots Radio presents the Fallout Lorecast. Welcome to the Fallout Lorecast, a place for the Fallout community to come together to explore the boundaries of our knowledge about the world of Fallout. All right, Vault Dwellers, Wastelanders, welcome back to the Fallout Lorecast. This is your host, Tom, or Robots, and this is a very special episode because I'm not alone today. <laughs> I've been doing a lot of these solo episodes, and last week I was talking about the Enclave and the crazy AI that was controlling them during the events of Fallout 3, and... I thought to myself, you know what, I need to get a little bit deeper into the Enclave and was thinking through some of the different events in some of the games and it took took me back to the events of Fallout 76 and then I thought about my good buddy here, Lawrence, from The Modus Files, one of the shows on the Robots Radio Rocket Club, who's absolutely killing it. He is one of the most prolific writers that I know. He's been on the show before. And so I thought, you know what? I'm going to call him and see if he wants to come on the show and talk a little bit more in detail about what's actually going on behind the surface of Fallout 76, the events leading up to Fallout 76 when you come out of the vault, and all the nitty gritty of, of the Enclave in Appalachia and sure enough he's like yeah man I, I can do it why not let's let's do this thing and so here he is Lawrence from the Modus Files how's it going buddy it's going really well I'm uh, I'm really happy to be here tonight this is uh this is going to be cool it's a uh, obviously a part of the lore that I love but uh but I I love it because it's so it's just so different. I, I like that. I lo- I mean, not that I like evil factions or whatever, but I think that there's just a lot <laughs> there that people can kind of get their heads around. And there's, there is, like you said, there's a lot more about them in 76 than I think a lot of players have actually figured out. So, yeah, there's, it's the kind of thing where you really do have to make sure that you read the terminals, you talk mm-hmm. to the right people, and then you even kind of read between the lines in order to get the full story. And I know that in doing research for your your podcast called The Modus Files, like if you've played through the storyline, you know who Modus is. You do some quests for the crazy, creepy robot thing and, well, AI thing, and you get a little bit of a sense of it, even if you aren't the kind of person who goes and reads everything. At least you run into the character. And so when you see a podcast up there and you're searching for Fallout podcast and you see The Modus Files, it rings a bell. You at least know, okay, this has to do with the Enclave. This has to do with that part of the storyline of Fallout 76. Um, and I know that you have done a thorough job in digging into the lore in order to build your storylines and, and really flesh out the stories f- for your show. Um, so what I wanted to do is have a discussion with you where we can take everybody through. And, and I've, I've talked a little bit about this on the show before, going way back on some of the episodes about Thomas Eckert and the events leading up to some of the uh, some of the terrible <laughs> atrocities <laughs> that kind of doomed all of the, the people in the wasteland before the vaults opened, you know, and, and basically everybody died because they couldn't get along. They couldn't work together. But I want to just kind of recap from the, the Enclave's perspective, what was going on what led to failure and where things kind of go from there? Because I think I know, I know for a fact talking with you that there's other stuff going on that a lot of people don't know about. So 
can you maybe let's just start with Thomas Eckert, right? He was the secretary secretary of agriculture and uh, basically became the assumed leader at the White Springs bunker for what was left of the United States at the time after the bombs dropped. Well, it's a I mean, it's an interesting story because it's I mean, and actually, I think maybe to start, we can take even maybe a half step back and, you know, and, and so right before the war, the the enclave, which was this shadow government that existed kind of behind the scenes in the U.S. government made up of some members of the Joint Chiefs and and some members of the U.S. government and and also members of industry. Because you saw people from West Tech there. Yeah. Vault Tech was definitely involved. Yeah. And so right before the war, right before the bombs dropped, the the president and and his crew um, all vacated to the Poseidon oil rig out you know, off of California in the Pacific Ocean. Right. Fallout, and, Fallout 2 reference. Yeah, Fallout yeah. 2 reference. Yep. And right. and there were other enclave facilities across the country. Chicago gets mentioned a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a couple in Colorado. Um, I actually personally believe that there was one at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, which is actually right across the Ohio River from Appalachia. Um, but, you know, so there were all of these, these areas. Now, the White Spring Bunker um, was actually a personal project of uh, Thomas Eckhart, he actually pushed through the funding that built the White Spring bunker. And so when the bombs drop, there were a lot of people that go to White Spring, the enclave, obviously. So Eckhart was there and, and also the secretary of treasury, who was actually technically um, in the line of succession above Eckhart. Um, and as soon as they got there, people that had the special card that said they were part of the enclave were let in mm-hmm. everybody else, which was actually because it was known as the congressional bunker. You actually had the majority of Congress people from Washington, DC going to that bunker. They were immediately segregated and shot. So all of those people were killed like right off the bat. Right. Um, so and- so uh, immediately we, the enclave is great. They're good, good people, right? <laughs> like <laughs> they're the yeah. good guys, right? You're right. 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 Now, now actually, at that point, you, you have another character that actually enters the story, which we read about quite a bit. And we hear actually holotapes and we technically find his body, um, which was Agent Gray. Um, actually, Jefferson Gray was his name. And so he gets to the bunker as well because he was actually doing some dirty work in Appalachia. Um, and he ultimately becomes Eckhart's right hand man. But mm-hmm. at the beginning, you had kind of this initial formation of the the enclave in Appalachia. Um, they were getting themselves organized. And at that point, Eckhart started to articulate his desire to continue the war with China. In right. his mind, you know, they weren't they weren't finished. And also, at the same time, they figured out that they had no contact with any of the other um, enclave facilities. Right. They so were they, cut they, off and it was his big thing is he wanted to retaliate. He did. Yeah. He did. And that's a big mystery, which hasn't been answered yet, which is why that bunker was cut off from the rest of the enclave. I mean, I have some ideas about, you know, Eckhart could have done it. Modus might have done it, mm-hmm. um, you know, because he maybe had his own plans or potentially maybe it was even the enclave outside of Appalachia that cut them off because, maybe they felt that they weren't necessary or they were too um, dangerous or they were too dangerous because um, yep. they already knew um, if you read the logs, there was communication between modus and um, Zach's actually, which became mm-hmm. president Eden, right? Where even modus was beginning to notice that Eden or excuse me, that Zach's was not following his d- 
directives. Right. And, and, we had a squabble between AIs. Yeah. Yeah. Like, why are you why are you reading these books about presidents? He's like, mm-hmm. Sax is like, what? You don't find this interesting? And Modus is like, no, because it's not our job, um, so, right. which is right. which is, of course, very interesting. And I think goes to maybe. I think maybe a misconception that people kind of have about modus and and we can talk a little bit about that okay a little bit a little bit later but so so the way Eckhart actually became uh, got put in charge is that the secretary of treasury dies um i believe he has uh, radiation poisoning so he ends up passing away so that leaves Eckhart in charge and Eckhart starts articulating the fact that he wants to nuke china you know, mm-hmm. they've got these silos in Appalachia. Um, the war's not over yet. We have to eliminate communism. And the and there were actually a good portion of people in the bunker who were like, dude, did you look outside? <laughs> the war is over. Right. You know, right. we need to you know, we need to be concentrating on rebuilding. And, and Eckhart was like, well, OK, all right, well, let's put it up for a vote. Anybody that wants to uh, to 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 be on my side, come over here. Everybody that wants to be on the other side, go over there. And as soon as they go over there, Eckhart's like, "Okay, Modus." And then the doors <laughs> shut. He gases everybody. Oh, jeez. Um, so so Eckhart was was pretty ruthless right from the beginning. Now, when you read the logs, at this point, there are forty eight people left in that bunker. So, you know, when when people kind of think of the scale of the enclave, you know, sometimes they think, oh, well, they must have had like thousands of people there. It's like, no, there mm-hmm. were like 48 people to begin with. Mm-hmm. Now, I now that's in the bunker. I do think that there were kind of other people in Appalachia because there were other facilities. There were government facilities um, that I think were staffed that they had control of. But sure. You know, well, that's, and that's and military, like if, if they're the ones who are in charge of the government, then anybody who's actually still functioning as military would still be taking orders from them yeah and and i don't think it was all of them like there was a there's actually uh you find some uh holotapes or or some terminal entries in the mononga um nuclear power plant where there was a military unit that was actually assigned there um they ultimately were wiped out by raiders but you know at the same time there were other units i think in inside so i don't necessarily sit i look at that 48 number and i say wow that's a small number of people but you know, I, right. I, I think right. you can fudge the numbers as well. I think there were probably more people in and around Appalachia that ultimately they brought on board. It's it's this so, kind of gray zone where if like it, at that point, it I, I have to ask the question of who knows that they're enclave and who knows that who and who doesn't know their enclave, but are working for the U.S. government that has been co- now co-opted by the enclave. You get what I'm saying? Like, so, for example, like a remote group of military members who are simply taking orders from this group who is acting as the U.S. government that's co-opted by the enclave don't know that they're acting as enclave members at this point. They're simply following orders as the U.S. military. Absolutely. And I think that there's I think really, if you look at that core, I think maybe a couple of dozen really diehards. And and that's, again, one of the reasons why Eckhart kind of got rid of anybody that didn't really follow along with him. But it also meant that the people who were left were really the diehards, which yeah. meant that when he started giving the orders that he gave, which were, OK, we need to gain access to these silos. Yeah, they were like, sure, we're, we're absolutely on board. We're going to do that. Yeah. Or um, we're, we know we're going to die. So, yes. Yes. <laughs> OK. Yes. <laughs> like- but that was. But so. 
you know, I, th- I think people can get hyper fixated on on him going after the silos, which is, again, kind of where Agent Gray comes back into the picture, because Gray was the one that started suggesting to Eckhart that, hey, if we're going to get access to these silos, we still need to get the, the DEF CON level up mm-hmm. because, you know, the the or whatever computers are controlling the silos are looking outside and are like, well, OK, the war's over. So it's like DEF CON 5. No, we need to raise it. So Gray was actually the one that started talking to Eckhart about what can we do and and specifically false flag operations, you know, to to get this. And Gray was the one that actually found the Chinese secret base underneath uh, uh, Mama Dolce's Mm -hmm. uh, because they were searching for a way to get into the silos. Um, He eliminated the few remaining Chinese that were there. And all of a sudden now they can start constructing liberators. So that was actually their first thing that they did is that they started releasing liberators into Appalachia, which is part of why Um, you find them in the game. Right. All over the place. Um, So they were making those. And that was definitely, you know, that was that was pretty bad. But, you know, I mean, liberators, I mean, except Eh. for the level 50 ones that we find are really annoying. Um, (laughs) Right. Yeah. But the ones you find right out of the vault. I mean, they're like little little baby things and they pop up and you you break them and they crap, you know, crash down. That's it. So as they so as this started, all of a sudden now you get a new influx of, of people that that show up at the bunker. And that's where Colonel Santiago um, comes into the picture. Mm-hmm. And she and her troops, which were actually stationed around Washington, D.C., I like to think they were probably at Fort Independence. So kind of a reference to Fallout 3 um, far enough outside of, of mm-hmm. Washington, D.C. that it wouldn't have been directly affected by the bombs. But it was a major military installation. Um, but again, that's kind of my own personal headcanon. Um so she and her her men, you never know exactly how many she has, but if it's a colonel, I imagine she probably had a brigade. Um, so imagine that you're actually bringing, okay, let's just say several hundred people into uh, into the bunker. So they show up and they're like, hey, we're here. Um, we heard you guys are the government. We are, we respect the chain of command. We're, we're here. Yeah, as any good, um, and any good soldier would, especially during yeah. a time of crisis. Right. So so Eckhart's actually all he's like falling all over. He's like, hey, this is great. Um, it's actually in gray. That's like, hey, this is kind of weird. You know, you walked all the way here from Washington, D.C. This is and you didn't, lo- you know, and of course, Santiago's telling, well, we didn't lose anybody. And Gray's like, hey, OK, this doesn't make any sense. Um, there's some discussion that actually goes back and forth until finally Gray backs off. And says, "Okay, yeah, you know what? This does make sense. Um, I respect you. And all of a sudden now, Eckhart not only has, you know, he actually has a military force at his command. And this is where we start to see a ramp up of just overall enclave activities across Appalachia. Mm -hmm. And it's not just the silos. Um, This is actually where we start to see them doing the research into the mutation serums. Right. Um, We don't know exactly where. I think the genesis of that research came from, I think there was already some po- uh, pre-war um, kind of uh, research that was going on into mut- mutagenic compounds. Because if we look at who's in Appalachia, you've got West Tech that's researching FEV. Then you have Arctos Pharma. Yeah. And of course, once we once we get Project Paradise, we find out that there was actually a lot more going on underside uh, uh, below Arctos Pharma them was generally known and that was actually into mutagenic compounds where you get the sheep squatch and that's where the sheep scotch came from so there's a connection between the enclave and arctos pharma 
all of a sudden now you've got this uh, research into these mutagenic compounds inside the enclave base. And they're experimenting actually on Santiago's troops because that's who they had, plus people that they kidnapped from the outside. Because, right. you know, they're, they're really nice people there in the bunker. Well, it's, it's a Mariposa, you know, version two. Yeah. This is, yeah. this is a callback. Yes, it is. And, and and in a way, it's actually kind of what Mariposa would have turned into if the bombs hadn't dropped, because that's certainly the direction in which they would have gone. Um, so, you know, so, so you have that going on. The liberators show up. They don't do it. So the next step is, well, what else do we have? Well, they're aware of West Tech. So they actually are, they go into West Tech and they release all of the super mutants mm -hmm. and they're like, Oh, this is, this is great. This is, this is going to be bad. <laughs> this is going to be uh, bad for everybody. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. So, so you get super mutants. And of course, as you're reading the logs of the other factions, this is where you start hearing about Huntersville. And then ultimately you had the responders and the brotherhood of steel got together and actually fought a major battle in Huntersville against the super mutants, mm -hmm. uh, pushing them back to West tech though. They didn't know exactly where they were coming from. Um, but again, it, it, you know, you start seeing the DEF CON level slowly creep up, but it's not to Eckhart's um, satisfaction. You know, he wants more. Right. So it's just not you know, dangerous they, enough. We're just not, not killing enough people yet. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so, so they're really reaching into their bag of tricks at this point. And they are, you know, actually pushing out. They're doing a lot of research on not only, you know, the super mutants and liberators, but this is actually where a couple of other things come into the picture that we don't find out about until later, but like site G for instance. So if you follow the brotherhood of, Brotherhood quest line, at least the original one, all of a sudden you end up underneath one of the um, communications arrays and you find out that there's an enclave base under there, mm -hmm. um, Site G, that's actually run by Sodas. And I think Sodas is a unbelievably funny character. Right. Because yeah, yeah. The, the, the moment you start talking to her, she sounds like Modus's like, like really bitchy ex-girlfriend. Oh my like, gosh. Like, I <laughs> yes. So, uh, so Sodas doesn't get talked about enough. Everyone talks about Modus, right? Because super creepy. I mean, Modus is a main focus because of the connection to the Enclave and all of that. But Sodus is totally worth having a conversation about. I mean, Modus means the M is multi, right? Sodus means singular, I believe, right? Yes, that's correct. Yeah. So in the entire, uh, uh, what's the word for? It's uh, S-O-D-U-S, singular operation direction and utility system yes as opposed to multi-operation direction and utility system so sorry go ahead no so you know so if you think about it if there's a site g that means that there's a site a b c d e f and potentially other ones so you know the research that they were doing in there was on the, the the creatures the new creatures in Appalachia. So we find a Mothman in there. We find a Deathclaw. We find you know multiple different kind of cryptids. Plus there's aliens in there if you uh, if you're actually able to look but behind the thing. So they were looking for different means of weaponizing these creatures in a way that was going to kind of help them. So I imagine that there's so we see that. 
But the other part, other place that really isn't talked about, which I think is actually really interesting to the story, is what's going on at Tanagra Town. So when we first, we as players first go to Tanagra Town, we find this, you know, the town itself had actually been raised up out of the ground, this giant rock um, with the strangler vines all around it. Mm -hmm. And if you if you go around that area, there's actually a, a series of buildings and one of them is locked. And when you gain access to it, you find out that it's actually an enclave research facility. It's small, but it's there. And when you learn the lore of it, it was set up to examine the strangler vines. Now, there is actually a really good horror story to be written about what happened at that base because just the tidbits that you get is that there was a lot more going on with those strangler vines than than we actually have been aware of. You know, we know that the strangler vines can actually kind of control other creatures, but you know, you really get a sense almost like a almost like a remake of the thing that that there were people in that base that were being affected by the strangler vines. And, you know, so that in itself is kind of, a, you know, one of these horrific little stories about, Hey, you know, God, imagine you were in here and, and these vines are just, just coming in on you and you never know if the guy next to you is going to turn on you because the vines got to him. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. But again, it just kind of shows that, that they were, there was a lot more that the enclave was doing inside Appalachia than, and they uncovered, I think a lot of the secrets that, that we ultimately find and in some cases we we haven't found yet because they're, they're not in the game but from a lore perspective like you said kind of reading between the lines you can say hey you know maybe part of what the strangler vines were was incorporated ultimately into the scorch beast research so so that kind of leads us to the scorch beast like so where did these guys come from and yeah, yeah. So, you know, the Enclave was aware of, of Ultrasight. They were aware of, of the research that was done by AMS before the war. And they started experimenting with it first as a, as a potential power source. But then they noticed that it would also mutate creatures. So they started to expose various creatures to Ultrasight to see what would happen. And bats seem to actually take to ultrasight more than any other creature that they experimented on. Mm -hmm. And of course, at this point, they had no idea what the scorch place was scorch plague was. And so these bats deep down, you know, in the, in the scientific research wing started to really evolve quickly. And Eckhart and gray saw that as, Hey, you know, this is something we should release this and see what happens. Cause <laughs> this might be the thing that does it. Um, now, of course, in the bunker at the same time, um, you had Santiago finding out about all of this. She was originally very much on board with Eckhart because, you know, she was very clear when she got to the bunker that almost all of her men's families, you know, all of, they, they all died in the war. So she was very much like, OK, yeah, we're going to we're going to kill uh, we're going to kill China. But as soon as she started seeing that Eckhart was actually inflicting all of this pain on Appalachia, you see this turn mm. ultimately he has to make her a general because only a general can launch nukes. His last general ultimately died of a heart attack. Um, you know, like as old, old people who probably smoked six packs a day would, because I can imagine, you know, being a general in the U S army in 20, well, 80 something that, yeah, they're going to be smoking a lot. Um, <laughs> so Santiago tries to say no. She's like, no, I'm, I'm done. I'm not going to do this. So of course, Modus and Eckhart put her in a coma. 
just stuff her in a hospital bed and hide her away <laughs> until they need to use her uh, uh, to launch the nukes. Right, you know, again, right. kind of kind of a great thing. And uh, and so <laughs> just wheel her out when they need her. Wheel her out <laughs> when you need her. Stick you know, your hand on the thing. It. Okay, thanks. Go back to sleep. Yeah. And uh, and you know, so so at this point, you know, Eckhart thinks he's got everything in hand. They release these at this point. They're still bats. They release them out to see what's going to happen. And and wouldn't you know it? Very quickly, suddenly they're at DEFCON 1 and they're like, they're looking around and they're like, wow. Isn't it, uh, the, other, I, isn't it the other way around? Isn't five the highest? No, five is uh, five is peacetime. DEFCON 1 is the uh, is, is, is 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 wartime. Is it? OK, maybe I have it. It is. OK, I, 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 I watched war games like a thousand times okay. when I was a kid. Yeah, yeah so. that's fine. That's fine. Um, but uh, but yeah, so they're getting ready to uh, to launch the nukes. Um, but also at this time, uh, Santiago's uh, second in command, um, I kind of I, where his name was um, like, oh, he's got like a, a Norwegian sounding name, like Rogs, Rostauer or something like that. Um, ultimately finds out what's going on, finds out that Santiago is being kept uh, in a coma uh, and attempts to la- launch a coup. Basically, they wake up Santiago and they let her, you know, she's like, OK, yeah, we got to we got to stop this. So you have actually at this point, the majority of the people who are left are actually Santiago's men. So you only have that really small core of, of Eckhart supporters. And if they had done things uh, the right way, they probably would have been able to get rid of him and and things would have turned out differently. Mm-hmm. But the coup fails because um, they try to destroy Modus. And they so they plant explosives around his mainframe. They try to blow him up. It just makes him mad. So he kicks into (laughs) self-defense mode, Uh um, shuts down the entire bunker, um, detonates some of the uh, the actual uh, toxic chemicals and viruses and stuff that they've been researching and lets it go throughout the base. And in fact, you um, there's an assaultron that you can find uh, a destroyed assaultron that actually has a recording on it. And if you listen to it, it's the last really the last moments of the people in the bunker and you get this really chilling message from modus you know the the guy saying hey modus what are you doing and modus is like i'm fixing the problem and and that's that's what he does and he kills everybody kills eckhart kills the loyalists kills the the people trying to you know so and at that point that really is kind of the end of the story uh, at least as far as as the enclave is concerned um but but of course it doesn't end there because ultimately we find modus and and he is kind of continuing to do what what he wants to do and that's you know i think an interesting he's got interesting motivation because in in some ways it's very simple what he's looking for Mm -hmm. but i think it's it's also very complicated as far as what he's going to do with it so I don't know if you're okay with with maybe pivoting to that. Or... Yeah, well, tell you what, you know what? I think that's a that's a really cool direction to go. But why don't we why don't we take a break and thank our patrons, and we'll tease them with that, and we'll come back and we'll talk more about Modus after the break. Hello there, old chap. Good to see another of General Atomic's finest still eager to serve. All right, everybody, thank you for tuning into this episode, and thank you especially to our patrons. I've got some new patrons to call out this week. A big thank you to Oasis Pedro, Richard S., and Hannah M. for signing up on the Patreon, and uh, to all 49 of our patrons. You guys are amazing. Thank you so much for helping to support the show, and if we've done anything to help you get get through your workday, your drive to work, your workout, or hanging out with your friends, playing Fallout 76, 
six, then go to patreon.com slash fallout lorecast and check out all the different tiers where you can get ad free episodes you can join us on future episodes of the show you can get t-shirts and stickers all sorts of fun stuff and this is this is my career so every little cent every dollar that you spend on here helps make this a real career for me and i really do appreciate it so thank you to everyone who takes the time and and you know a little bit of money to pitch in really do appreciate it thank you to everybody and also we have a new review that showed up and i don't think i've read this one out came out uh, just about a week ago which i don't think i got a chance to read out yet um this one is from me edwards in canada who writes the great green jewel of lore gosh it took me three weeks of listening when i could at work to burn through to the end four years worth of podcasts well eh, three three years we're on year four so almost well we're getting there um love the show the fun people who come on and assist robots from time to time a good listen for the fallout fans who want to know more lore or just want something that's fallout related to listen to i especially like that it's not just the lore but other stuff fun stuff about the game too uh like stuff that is obviously inspired by by in the game uh um sorry (laughs) excuse me uh it's locations cryptids or npcs it's a fun listen thank you so much me edwards i really do appreciate it and if you would like to leave a review on apple podcasts and give us a five-star rating and some words i'll read it out on a future episode of the show also you're welcome to leave us a uh, rating on uh, Spotify as well. That's a, a new way. You, there's a new way you can do that. You just got to pull up the view where you can see all the different episodes and scroll to the top. You can drop us a little rating on there. All of that stuff really does help. And it lets other people know that it's a show worth checking out because your words are more valuable than mine because they're going to trust your reviews more than they'll trust me saying, hey, I have a good show. So thank you to everybody for taking the time to do that and to also support the show on Patreon really do appreciate it. All right, let's move on with the rest of the show. If you have any questions about Nuka World, I'd be delighted to answer them. All right, so so this stuff is particularly interesting. The whole the whole Modus thing. Um, and anybody who hasn't met Modus yet, if uh, I know some people listen to the show and they've either just begun playing Fallout 76 or they're into a lot of the other games, but they, you know, I haven't really dove into Fallout 76 yet. I'm not into the multiplayer stuff. Just to let you know, and I get this question a lot. Is it worth playing yet? Yes, it is. Can you play it solo? Yes, you can. There's a ton of quests you can do. You don't ever have to play with other people. You might run into them in the world, but you can totally just play the quest lines just like in any other Fallout game and just enjoy the story, play the quest lines, meet the characters, do the stuff, and then you can meet guys like Modus who sound like this. Welcome, member, to our little enclave. And he sounds super creepy like that, and you're going to love it once you get to that part of the story. So, yeah, it's it's a lot of good stuff. So, obviously, it's a lore cast. I don't have to keep reminding you guys. There are spoilers, and this is some of the background for some of the stuff that happens in Fallout 76. But the part we're going to get to here is particularly things that you might run into in the actual game because you you meet modus and then he sends you on some quests and things right and you got you got to do some stuff so what is that what's going on with modus here lawrence what's what's his deal what does he what does he really want so i could really distill it down to one word which then turns into like a whole dissertation but it's efficiency If you talk to Modus, if you go through his files, he is all about 
the efficient if the the efficient um uh, i'm trying to think of the term just making sure that everything is working as efficiently as possible Mm -hmm. so when he is planning when he is working with you as a player what he's really looking for is are you conducting yourself in the most efficient manner are you achieving our goals um efficiently Mm -hmm. and because he is man you know he is this this multi you know, because he always he always uses the royal we. Um, he yeah. never refers to himself as I. It's you know we are modus, um, and and that is I think really creepy as well, um, because it gives you this idea that there's like a lot of different versions of him that are out there. And and interestingly enough, in there in the cut content, he can actually get really really mad. Um, and there was actually uh, content that was cut where you could actually get kicked out of the bunker by him. So, wow. Wow. Yeah. So, so there's a lot of facets to his personality that we don't get, but, you know, you know, so if you think about modus, modus is a, is, is an artificial intelligence and he is enormous. Uh, You look at his server room and that is just really probably a hundredth of, of actually what his size is, is he goes down, you know, probably multiple levels. There's a nuclear, um, you know, there's a a fusion plant that's actually powering him. Um, So, so there's a lot to him, which is probably why it was so hard to blow him up because there's just a lot to him. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But he was um, before he was cut off, um, you know, before the coup, he was connected to an orbiting satellite, the, the Kovac Muldoon, which we get access to. He was also connected to the regional surveillance network. Um, for players, I don't know if you've noticed this, but there are, if you look around Appalachia, you'll see things that uh, look like trees, but are not trees because they've got antennas sticking out of them. Uh-huh. And you find out about that when you go to Sugar Grove, that the Defense Intelligence Agency was actually monitoring anything and everything that was going on in Appalachia. And so that was part of the surveillance network, which Modus was also uh, a part of. Um, Plus he was also, well, you can connect him to all the bot stops so he can create his own robots. Mm -hmm. Um, So, so that's kind of the, the physicality of, of what Modus is, you know, a satellite, his mainframe access to the network. Um, But when you look at Modus himself, he is a, I would say that he's a manager and he's probably the worst possible manager that you would ever experience (laughs) because all he cares about is getting the job done and there's no morality. Um, There's Mm -hmm. all there is, is just brutal rationality and logic. And it's one of the reasons why what Eckhart was doing absolutely fell into what Modus wanted, which was we need to efficiently end the war. Well, if there's anything left of China, then we need to get into those silos. And of course, Modus was very upset that the military did not give him access to the silos. Right, right. Um, I mean, <laughs> he's was I mean, probably a good choice. Yeah, <laughs> probably a very good choice. But, you know, but that's a but it really kind of gets into the core of him that he is. You don't know exactly what he is trying to like, what his overall mission, his overall mission is just the efficiency or, or the efficient work that goes along and making sure that the enclave continues. Right. So mm-hmm. that the bunker mm-hmm. works, uh, that the bunker works well, that, you know, the missions are accomplished. That's really what he's built around. Um, but he will do it and he will sacrifice as many assets because they aren't people to him. They're nothing but assets right. to right. accomplish, to accomplish that. Right. A person is of- a, a dollar is a, is a time is a, mm-hmm. you know, is, is the same as any other, you know, piece on the, on the board. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and the reason that he cut himself off from SOTUS was because he viewed her as an inefficient system. Mm-hmm. Um, what was going on there was not bearing fruit. It wasn't it wasn't helping them get into the silos. So he's like, you know what? I don't I don't need her anymore. I'm going to cut that connection, which, of course, drove her crazy and ultimately led her to kill everybody inside her facility. <laughs> Um, I can but, so to pause here for a moment. Let's tie this back around to the Zach's units, and specifically the one uh, the, the Fallout Three reference. And I mean that the Zach's units are have a very similar function. They do, but they have a. But the key difference is they are emotional. Because whenever you talk to Eden and and actually mm-hmm. in the other games, when you talk to any yeah. of the other Zach systems, they have a personality, right? Modus has no personality, right, which would make His, them inefficient. Yes. Which would be a good reason for him to cut off that connection. So imagining a conversation between Modus and Eden, Modus would go, you are being inefficient. I am. I am cutting you off. Mm-hmm. I am not going to allow you access to the things that I control. So I'm going to keep you from trying to override my systems or whatever. Like, who knows what kind of, you know, potential threat they are to each other program you know uh, like in two ai systems what kinds of potential software they could be attempting to load into each other's you know mainframes in order to try to co-opt each other's programming in order to take over control of each other's systems or or you know whatever they have control over right like there could be they could be having war underneath any any time that they connect at any moment so he might be going well you know, your job as, um, you know, President Eden is to maintain control of the country. My job as MODIS is to make sure that, that the Enclave maintains efficiency and control, continues the things we want to do. We are at odds with each other. We basically have the same the same job. Right. And we either one of us will win out. Mm-hmm. We both cannot exist. We cannot coexist. So he may have realized that the most like efficient thing to do in order to make sure that he could win out was to cut the connection. It's certainly possible. I mean, he certainly wouldn't want to like like the Zacks in Vault 51. He wouldn't want to have anything to do with that either, because I'm sure he would look at that as a inefficient use of resources, which is you're killing your assets or you are forcing your assets to kill each other for a game right to to answer a question he would be like right. okay that's stupid that doesn't make any sense so if he can't control it and he can't take over it then the only other option would be to cut connection to it so that it's right. not no longer distraction right yeah and i don't think i, I want to say i need to go back and read but i don't think that modus and zacks ever had a connection though though i will say that zax did manage to hack the military system and ship a um a suit of a prototype suit of hellfire armor to vault 51 mm-hmm. so so there was there was something going on there but i yeah. think for modus you know if i was to kind of extrapolate out what he's looking to do is he he I'm sure that he probably wants to rebuild in some respect because chaos does not benefit him. So seeing Appalachia fall apart and him not having, you know, the scorch beast, I mean, he would, he would actually probably act in our best interests in some manner. Um, 
Right. But the problem would be is that at the moment that he would see things becoming more chaotic. So when people would try to govern themselves, Mm -hmm. he wouldn't like that. So he would probably (laughs) figure out a way to step in. And with him, he's probably more likely to use human puppets than to try to step into himself because he is still limited in what he can affect. Right. Because, you know, he does have bots, but they're limited. Um, He would probably try to find somebody who would act you know, in his stead. Like, I think that if, if Modus, if Colonel Autumn had met Modus instead of, instead of going to Raven Rock, um, if Modus was actually still even around at that point, I think they would actually get along famously because, (laughs) because Autumn actually has the idea that he wants to control the country. He wants to, he wants to bring people in. He, but he wants to be in charge. That's really kind of what Modus wants. Modus wants to bring people in, but he wants to be able to control them and make sure again, that they're working efficiently. So it's turning a little enclave into a much bigger enclave. Right. Um, But even at the end of the day, he's still somewhat limited because he does not have that emotional connection. So everything that he's going to do is going to be built around logic and, and kind of rational thought. So when he's going to be dealing with things that are irrational, he's not really going to be able to, I mean, the strategy that he'll come up with will probably just be to gas them again or, you know, send the bots to kill them. I have to wonder with just the inherent irrationality and inefficiencies of humans, if in the long run, eventually he just gives up on them. That's a really good question. I... I have ideas, which, which, which unfortunately they relate back to my podcast. So I'm not going to spoil that for people. Uh-huh. But, okay. You know, I, I think that um, I think what's going to happen is he's going to come up with a more efficient method of achieving the ends of stability. Mm. And and that will probably not end well for a lot of people, because you're right. He will he will ultimately recognize that people will fail him right. and that they'll and never it, be and it, as efficient as he wants. Right. And, you know, it's just a question of how far he's allowed to spread because, you know, we, as players help him, we, we reconnect him to the Kovac. Yeah. We reconnect him to the regional surveillance network. <laughs> yeah. We connect him to bot stops. Right. So we're actually kind of, if you were to think of him as a, uh, um, you know, like a, like a, like a pup, well, like a, like a toy, like a toy soldier that's missing his arms and legs. You know, you put the arms back on, then you put the legs back on all of a sudden he starts becoming a lot more dangerous yeah. because he's a real soldier now, he's again. Mo- now he's mobile. Right. Um, but it's, uh, but at the same time though, he's also the first, he's only, he's actually the only NPC that we actually interact with in the original fallout 76 um because there isn't anybody else there's just hollow tapes and well, notes there's rose well there's rose, there, there's other yeah. there's other robots right there's right. other there's but other robots he, and ais but like he's he's a major he's like one of the few major ones yeah, yeah. i would love to i, w- I wish there's they had the him to give a lot more like missions and stuff but yeah you know, I'll, I'll take what we got yeah uh, but uh you know but if you think about it you know he's actually also maybe in a perverse way the best hope for appalachia because he's got the <laughs> only only intact production facility he's got access to advanced weapons um he's got access to the kovac and if you are a player why would you not want to have access to that if you were actually able to rebuild um you know and of course not to toot my own horn but that's kind of the basis of my entire podcast yeah. is kind of showing up at the white spring and being like hey 
there's actually a pretty good deal here. Yeah. Why would this not be the genesis for what we'd want to build? But you would have to, again, always have modus in the background kind of scheming and planning. It's, and it's a, it's a deal with the devil. It's isn't it? I mean, you're oh, making, you're making a deal with the devil. Like it's, this is a, this is a fallout version. This is a wasteland post-apocalyptic future fantasy version of making a deal with the devil in order to try to save the world. Mm-hmm. And that's basically what this is like, okay, well I'll give you all the, all the technology and all the safety and all the food that you need, but you're playing with fire and at any moment, all of this might bite you in the butt and might just burn everything down. The only thing that he's got going for him is the fact that he's probably the only not crazy AI that we meet. And that's only because his definition of crazy doesn't match. I think the overall definition of, of crazy, like we know Sodas went nuts, but Sodas actually also, also, if you noticed, had a bit of a personality and an emotional response. Yeah. So I, I think that that's actually where Modus becomes even more dangerous because you can see the crazy of Zach's, you, you know, that, of President Eden. When you talk to him and he tells you about, oh, yeah, we're just <laughs> going to put this FEB, we're going to put this in, in, in the water and we're going right. to kill everybody right. that's not perfect. Yeah. Like, oh. Yeah. And he, I learned this when I was growing up on the farm and, and it's like, hey, what are you talking about? You like, yeah. that's not real. Yeah, Modus, I mean, for for any of his flaws, he's a straight shooter. Yeah. You know exactly where you where you are with him. He will not. He will not stab you in the back. He will vaporize you to your face. Right. Right. And at least, you know, that. Yep. Yeah. And, uh, you know, but at the same time, I think that there's there's so much more there. And I think that there is um, I think there's a lot of story because, like, I think a good example is the deep. So there's so much going on. Like that's that Chinese base. That's actually kind of almost right next to the white spring. Yeah. And you kind of have to ask yourself, does Modus know that it's there? Yeah. You know, is that, you know, is that something that he's actually kind of keeping, uh, keeping from us? And maybe it's something that he was a part of. Um, I mean, there's, I, I would love to learn more about that. And, and I think that there's just a lot more inside the modus lore that we as players just never get to experience because they didn't include it in the game. So you, so you do kind of have to fill in some of the gaps as far as, you know, if like, I, I think a great question to ask would be, let's just say that, that Santiago's men decide not to destroy modus. So they don't set off those charges and they arrest Eckhart. Would modus go along with it or would he still, like, I mean, because technically he was taking orders from Eckhart, but did he have to? I mean, if he sees things turn and all of a sudden maybe Eckhart gets shot and he's dead or or whatever, is he is he willing to work with these other people? And I think that he might because it's 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 almost not in his best interest at that point just to kill everybody because then he doesn't know what's next. So, right. I think. And again, it's hard I think to be efficient maybe, and plan for the future when you have no variables. Right. And, and, and in the game, he didn't have a choice because he, what, you know, they did try to blow him up and, you know, I can imagine right. you know, self-preservation. That would, that would make, sure. Yeah. Self-preservation. So, right. I mean, I think that that's an interesting question to ask is, is what would modus have done? And I, I don't know. I suspect he might've gone along, but he also might've killed everybody, but yeah, WWMD. 
Mm-hmm. Well, what, what would Modus do? <laughs> That's my new mantra. <laughs> I got to wear a, a, a what would Modus do bracelet. And whenever I'm not mm-hmm. sure what to do, I'm going to look down at that bracelet and I'm going to ask myself, what would Modus do? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm always, I, you know, <laughs> I, yeah. And, and, it, and it, but it does make me wonder. And, and actually the fact that you bring up what you brought up actually does change my thinking a little bit as far as who might've cut off whom. And I, now I'm kind of coming around to the idea that, yeah, maybe Modus actually cut them off because he he wanted to do his own thing. He didn't want other people telling him what to do because maybe in a way he could mm-hmm. manipulate. He knew he could man- manipulate Eckhart because Eckhart was kind of an open book being an all all I want a new China all the time kind of guy. And it allowed Modus maybe to do his own thing without worrying about you know, Eckhart, because all he had to do was feed Eckhart the crumbs of, oh, you want to do this? Oh, you want to do that? Sure. Yeah. And and he could have had plans going on in the background, too. So it also it, seems uh, I have a second idea there. Um, if if uh, if Eden is supposed to be the main system for backing up the American government as a whole, and Modus is supposed to be managing the White Springs and, and the Enclave systems, then in some ways, uh, Eden is actually pro- is probably more plugged in nationwide. And Modus is more of a specific system for one, one f- very focused. I mean, it's still huge, right? But he needs to pull himself out of the map. He needs to hide. If he stays plugged in, then Eden knows exactly what he's dealing with. He knows where, where he is. He knows, he knows like if, if the wasteland doesn't continue to crumble and Eden thinks that Modus is a threat, then Eden can mobilize against Modus if they're still connected and can mobilize physical forces or whatever, even if it's not a software force to try to take modus out and, and can know like, Oh, well, modus still has access to uh, nuclear silos, still has access to whatever, like it has some, some sense of what's still going on and where they are. Modus needs to hide. And by disconnecting basically takes himself off, off the map in a way like, yeah, they're still physically in Appalachia, but now they are digitally disengaged from the rest of the country. So anything that Modus does now is is invisible to the rest of the network. They're really good. That's a, that's an excellent excellent thought. I like that. I like that a lot too. So if Modus grows more powerful, Eden doesn't know. Eden has no idea what Modus is doing, and and the kind of force that Modus would be able to throw against eden once they run into each other again should the forces run into each other again if, if they see themselves as competitors then they're, they're they're not just competitors on a software front like on an internet kind of front on a digital front there's they're competitors on a physical front too because they're mobilizing human forces yeah so i mean if they need to keep that information separate um so yeah. and, and modus is probably the underdog in that fight well, I mean, it's yeah, unless he's able to mobilize, you know, say the, the, the people from Vault 76 to to serve him, basically. Right. But at, at the um, point that, that they disconnect, he, he he doesn't know that 
like like right. you were describing he's got like a group of like 40 some people in a in a in white spring like that's it like there's not a whole lot going on for him it's not like he's, he's mobilizing like an entire you know like the, the entire western seaboard of you know the military against the eastern seaboard of the military like for all modus knows eden the the zacks unit that becomes eden has access to the rest of the country's military potentially so modus needs to go hide and gather its strength in order to stand a chance against the the rest of the the country's forces if he's if he's going to exist at all continue to exist at all that's a really good point no i i actually really like that idea i think that it's a it makes sense actually within the concept of of not only the game but i think of the lore which is that appalachia was a very isolated area of the country anyway yeah and 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 of course he's also hamstrung because he's got the kovac but the kovac can't actually move mm -hmm. it's it's only good around appalachia he's connected to a surveillance system which is actually only good around appalachia right and and you're right he doesn't know what he's ultimately going to be dealing with right. so and he's also an ai which means that if he disconnects from the rest of the the network he could hide himself he doesn't like once the system doesn't know if he's in appalachia anymore theoretically the 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 ai itself could relocate itself physically into a different system if it has access to other systems so if it, yeah. if it needed to like hide itself from moving physically from the white spring to some other system that has enough memory and processing power to hold the ai like the kolvac muldoon if it does have that kind of processing power he could hide himself in, in a in a satellite in space if he needed to and still connect down to earth in order to issue commands because it's an ai mm -hmm. so like once it disconnects from the rest of the system theoretically modus could be anywhere yeah so i don't know it just yeah. opens up the potential like that like being efficient and thinking rationally that gives modus more options than staying connected at least as i'm thinking right now so I don't know. Just a thought. I mean, I think no. I mean, I think that's a that's actually a good way to look at it because when you when you think about you know his motivations would be very difficult for a person to really truly understand because he would be thinking, you know, like I said, he would be actually not just ten steps ahead; he'd be a hundred steps ahead about about everyone else. And you know, ultimately, he'd want to be in charge of something. But you're right; he would probably be afraid of. You know somebody coming in and shutting him down yeah self-preservation well. absolutely yeah like what, what's and what's the weakest point the weakest point for something like that is being physically tied to one location because yeah. uh you know just one nuke dropping on white spring and, and hitting the right spot and and maybe he's gone you know or the right kind of bunker buster or something you know or an assault from troops to that location boom you're done um yeah, it, it, the AI would have to take some steps in order to make sure that, you know, one, they don't—they're not even sure that he's still there. Two, that he could—he could go wherever it needs to go. He could back himself up. You know, there's a lot of options an AI has over an, a single individual human being. So, and just just some ideas. Um, but uh, yeah, it's an, it's an interesting thing to think about, and this goes back to the previous episode. This idea of these AIs becoming self-aware and then issuing commands and taking control of humans and humans being okay with like 
just doing stuff, <laughs> you know, just like <laughs> being taking orders from them, you know, like, okay, I'm, you know, but I, and I mentioned this on the last episode in some ways, computer programs are just, are, are just instructions. That's all they are. They're just instructions. And even a self-aware AI is just a set of instructions that just keeps on updating itself in order to make sure that it is continuing to follow the instructions to get around any variables that come get in the way. But it's still a set of instructions without any morals. But so are laws. So, so are rules. Rules are instructions, right? Like, have you, have you ever put that together? So like once you live by a set of rules that are so hard and fast that you remove the ethics and morals out of those rules, then aren't we ultimately just living by AI anyway? I mean, that's a, that's a good point. Like, and, and that's why it's important to have a system that's flexible and is able to constantly be adjusted by humans so that the humans are always in charge of the rules. The rules aren't ultimately in charge of the humans, right? That's why, that's why we have a system of, of checks and balances. That's why there's, there's, you know, an adjusting of laws that regularly keep up with society and humans and the needs of the humans and culture and all of those things so that there's always flexibility to those laws. But once you get a hard and fast system and, and that's in, and, and this goes back to the nature of the enclave and the enclave being a fascist group and the fact that they put like, it's all well and good to say American virtues are good, positive things, right? Like, yes, life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness. That's a wonderful thing. It's done well for so many people, right? Life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. All of that is great. But when you put those things above the well-being of others and you murder people in order to achieve those things, then all of a sudden that list of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness to the detriment of other people's life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, no longer that, that set of rules, it no longer works because now you're stealing it from everyone else. That's when it becomes a problem. And that's why a group like the Enclave becomes evil because we're, they're taking this good, this good set of precepts and we're now turning it on its head. And this happens in, in the real world all the time where you take these ideas that are supposed to, they sound good to everybody, but then you're doing them, you know, to the ends where it just no longer makes sense because now you're stomping on somebody else's life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I don't know. I'll get off my soapbox, but it, that's what I find is so interesting about, about fallout is that they take that same premise and they, and they use it on the enclave. And then in order to really hit that home, they put something like modus in charge of that which doesn't have any morals or ethics. It is simply logical, which means that it's going to kill any person that gets in the way because there's no ethical component at all. Right. And, and, and that's actually, I mean, throughout, throughout fallout lore, even from the beginning, um, this idea that that society in general was very morally gray, Yeah, you know, in general, the average person in fallout was not a very nice person. You know, if you were an executive in a company, you were out for yourself and you were going to break unions. You would spy on your competitors. You would, you know, I mean, there, there were a lot of shady stuff went on. Um, and that, of course, translates into, you know, into the post-war, which is mostly people are out for themselves. Yeah. The Raiders are really the personification of 
what society was. And then as soon as you remove the last bit of ethics and rules and laws and control, you get the Raiders. And yeah, yeah. that's why they were so powerful. Now, the Enclave is is really I mean, they're, they're as bad as the Raiders and they are. But what they're trying to do is they're trying to turn back the clock. They want everything to be the way that it was. And and that's just a horrible, horrible way to, you know, they, you know, they, they like corporations that stomp all over their workers and spill nuclear waste everywhere. And, you know, because that was the American way. It's like, oh, and, and I think that they in, in general in fallout, I think that they mistake the American way for just pure capitalism. It's right. like they almost right. they almost just totally got rid of the idea of what it was to be, quote unquote, an American. And it was like, you're a capitalist, right. you know? Right. And 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 yeah, the enclave represents all the worst of that because they're the people who were pulling the strings before. And now they're the people that are trying to pull the strings now. And 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 if if raiders have a shred of decency the enclave has like no decency at all i mean you you real i mean they are yeah. really i mean they're not I, I think in some cases you can go too much to the mustache twirling villains sure um, sure because i think because i think actually if you look at like a colonel autumn character and then so i mean if you, if you look at like characters that were kind of hard to classify you have autumn and then you have maxin from fallout 4 because you've got two characters that are in charge of very large military organizations that both believe that they're doing the right thing and what are they trying to do they're trying to achieve a measure of control mm -hmm. because autumn wasn't on board with eden killing everybody with the with the poison he just wanted to use the water to control things maxin wants to control technology right. he wants people to stop messing around and the brotherhood of steel is the only one that can be allowed to have this technology right so so when you put those side by side you mean eden, is, eden and maxon no 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 autumn autumn because because eden was the eden the, as the computer he's definitely crazy i mean he's not not the person oh, okay, but okay. yeah 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 I got you. yeah but, but colonel autumn right the, the person in front of of eden, of, of eden right Right. Yeah. So so I, yeah. I would throw this out to everybody to say, OK, in your minds, which one's actually good? Which one's actually evil? Yeah, because they're kind of on the same level as far as what they're trying to achieve. And oh, by the way, Maxon's also happy to completely uh, commit genocide against the ghouls and super mutants and all that, too. So, you know, people yep. that like to come back at me and say, well, your enclave is evil. I'm like, well, hey, you know. I don't see your Brotherhood of Steel doing too many things in Fallout 4 that are that great either. So, yeah. you know, I, I, I think it's a more of a philosophical discussion around yeah. the effect of Fallout society and how that translates into our concepts of good and evil. Right. It's, it's, uh, everyone draws a line somewhere. It's just how, yeah. far, how far is that line? Yeah. 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 Maxon won't kill the average wastelander. I think that's the distance of that line, right? Yeah, like Maxon will say, "I'll kill the ghouls, but I'm not going to kill the average wastelander." But I will take all their technology and tell them that they're they're dumb and not able to use it. <laughs> and, and, and and their crops because they crops. have to be supported. You and know, you do like, those missions where you go in and do sure. that. But I, but um, yeah. but now I mean I think that it's but it, but if you do look at I mean yeah the enclave in Appalachia did pretty much everything that everything wrong that you could possibly do wrong. Um, I think if they had been more open, if someone other than Eckhart had been there, a lot of bad stuff still would have happened. 
it just would have happened differently. Um, you know, you wouldn't have gotten the scorched beast, but you can almost guarantee that there would have been something that would have happened between the white spring and everybody else, because it's not like they're not going to notice that there's this big giant resort in the middle of Appalachia. And there's some really strange stuff going on there. So maybe we should figure out what it is. Yeah. You know, the responders yeah. go down there. The brotherhood goes down there. I mean, I think it's, it, it opens up an interesting line, but mm-hmm. you know, the, it's the connections in my mind between what was going on before the war and then what kind of evolved into what the enclave did after the war. Because again, like I said, you've got, you know, what Robco was messing with, what AMS was messing with, what Arctos was messing with and how all of that kind of ended up being subsumed into the research that the enclave continued to do after the, you know, after the bombs dropped and it led to the scorch beast. But I think there's still a lot that, Bethesda hasn't put in the game, hasn't told us a lot of opportunities like the whole Meyer situation and the Strangler Vines is something that's never really been discussed. I think that that's actually that could be so cool to kind of dive into. And I think that there was a hint of that with what happened at Tanagra Town. But I would love to see that investigated a little bit more because that could that could actually be another boss kind of threat thing that we end up facing as players that. You know, these strangler vines start spreading and they're controlling, yeah. you know, bigger and stronger things. And all of a sudden now it's not just, you know, heart of the swamp. Suddenly we have like a massive, you know, Mirelurk queen thing swarm that suddenly, you know, comes out of the mire and starts attacking everybody. I mean, stuff like that, I think, could be really cool. Yeah. So, yeah. Early on, I, I, when I first jumped into the game, I kept expecting them to move or do something. You know, I was like, are these going to? attack me at some point or like what's what's going on here but yeah i I get where you're going with that yeah it's it's one of those things that uh, the enclave is is interesting and it's it's like so many things in in fallout when you pay attention to it it's a warning tale like it's it's a tale of like hey this is a story pay attention to this there's (laughs) there's stuff here that mirrors reality wake up (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like, just like be aware please and that stuff's written there for a reason like it it's it's based on real world stuff so um but i don't know that's just that's my thoughts on it but uh thank you for joining me on the show this has been a really awesome conversation um is there anything else you wanted to added uh, add in before we get going any other little tidbits I don't think there's anything. I mean, I, I again, I, I recommend that if, if anybody hasn't actually gone through the bunker and looked at all of the terminals, you know, look through all of the lore there, there's just there is so much. And and even just finding that Assaultron and, and listening to those final moments of, of what was going on in the bunker. I mean, it's it does give you a whole different perspective. And it's something that, again, I think a lot of players just don't don't know about um you know so i would say look in every nook and cranny because there's always going to be something new for you to find even if it's been there for three years you could stumble upon it today and it's new to you so um you know it's definitely something that's near and dear to my heart just to try to explore every part of it and you know uh, i would just encourage the players or anybody interested in fallout lore to just take a little bit of a closer look and don't be afraid to read between the lines, because I think that there's a lot of inferences that Bethesda makes and it leaves it up to us for interpretation. So my headcanon is going to be different than your headcanon. But having that basis there for us to kind of all kind of examine and talk about, I think, is a really cool thing. And that's why, 
I think all the Fallout games are fantastic just because they tell a story, but it allows us to kind of live our own story as part of it as well. So that's kind of my parting thought there. And I, I just love these games and I love the lore and I, I really am looking forward to eventually a Fallout 5 and hope that it's a really cool story as well. Yeah, yeah, good good thoughts. Um, yeah, definitely the the team who put this together did their their work when they designed the the core bits of this game initially and the the storytelling behind and underneath everything. So do do spend some time looking looking around. There's a lot of stuff there and I'm sure just your storytelling on this episode has probably convinced a lot of people that there's more there than they ever realized. So thank you for joining us. This has been awesome. Um, I know you've got your podcast to shout out the modus files, anything yeah. else going on? Like f- feel free to share how people can, can listen to you and anything else you've got going on. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, so modus files were a, a multi-season, um, you know, kind of audio drama based on like kind of the old 40s and 50s. So it's a lot of voice acting that goes into it. But it's really a story of a creation of a new enclave based out of Fallout 76ers that that find the White Spring. And and, you know, we're actually uh, just beginning season two. We had uh, about 20 episodes in season one kind of telling the story of that first year uh, culminates in a in a great giant battle. I won't spoil it. Um, so I, I think it's really great. We have a, a, the community has really gotten involved in that. Um, but you can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. Um, just look up the Modus Files. Um, we're very active on Twitter. Um, we're just at Modus Files. Um, you can check out our website at www.themodusfiles.com. Uh, got a lot of great uh, information about the podcast there, links to all of our episodes. And we do a lot of art as well. Um, so we have all of our characters, a lot of the community community characters that we art and that's there as, as art. Um, yeah. We also highlight a lot of community artists as well. So certainly check us out and uh, we'd be happy to have a lot more subscribers and supporters for us. So we're doing really well and and we're looking forward to putting out a lot more episodes. Yeah, they're they're a great part of the Robots Radio Rocket Club too, and they're they're killing it and with tons of downloads and some awesome, awesome episodes of, of their show. And uh uh, if, you, if you're interested in anything that we're doing at Robots Radio, robotsradio.net is the place to go check everything out, including if you would like to join us as one of the shows on the network or to become part of the Rocket Club, to be, uh, you know, part of our little group and to work with us and join us every week. And, and I would love to help mentor you and get your show off the ground. And, you know, you could join me and Lawrence every week talking on Sunday nights. We get together with everybody who's part of the rocket club and we talk about our podcast and ways that we can continue growing our shows and improving our quality and all of that stuff. So that's something that we've got going on. And also of course there's all my shows and all the other shows on the network and you can find them all at robotsradio.net. And I just launched the, Lord of the Rings Lorecast, which you can find on whatever podcatcher you're listening to right now. Two episodes are already out and we're almost at 500 downloads already. You guys are nuts. Thank you for everybody for checking that out and um, leaving some ratings and reviews and everything. You guys have been amazingly positive about that show. So I really do appreciate it. And uh, I'll be back next week with another episode. We're going to be talking about the Enclave after Fallout 3 and if they happen to still be around anywhere or did they just go away and what the uh what the lore says about maybe them sticking around or not so stay tuned for that next week and thank you everybody for tuning in and until next time stay safe out there and if you do come across a uh, computer ai system that happens to have control over all sorts of things like uh you know satellites and uh, nukes and stuff then uh, be very careful about how you uh interact with it we'll see you guys next time bye everybody
plug into everything else we're doing, check out robotsradio.net. Also, look up the Robots Radio YouTube for videos about Fallout and other things. And check us out on Twitter, twitter.com slash robotsradio. You've been listening to a Robots Radio podcast. Smart shows for interesting people. Check out all the shows at robotsradio.net.